Barber has our special this morning. Barbara and I hope and pray that that's what you're saying today that you'd rather have Jesus than anything uh, he is so important and and I pray that he is important to you and your life 
And uh, so I pray that you want to share Jesus. One of my students this week sent me a text, said, pray for Amber. Said, I just shared Jesus with her. It's the first time I've ever shared Jesus with anybody. And uh, that's one of the evangelism students at Cabby. Uh, we almost have a record enrollment this year. Brother Ed, uh, uh, again, got his associates there from last year. And he's, of course, a little summary in there, sent out by Faith Baptist Church in Cabot, uh, Arkansas. Brother Irvin was telling me that's for his, some of his family go there, and uh, they're in Cabot. And uh, so that just, that's a small world, he said, and it is. And so I'm going to let him share his burden about being to Oregon. I told him. Only my favorite people get the Sunday morning service. So, y'all, I'm putting the pressure on you, brother, but you can handle it. Many of you heard him speak at uh, at uh, teen camp and also at uh, tied-up conference in Star City. And those people who uh, helped with the teens saw him there. And so, uh, Brother Ed, come on, share your burden. All right. It's always fun because I always say that me and technology, we don't get along together very well. And you go on deputation, you have to use technology. So uh, God does have a sense of humor when it comes to that. Uh, again, my name is Brother Ed Burns, and I just I can't thank you all enough for allowing me to be here today to share my heart about Oregon missions. And I've come to know Brother Michael, and, and uh, uh, he's a man that I truly respect over the past few years. I've come to know him, not just respect him as a man of God and how his service and his, and his heart for the Lord, but as a friend. And I thank God for, for placing Brother Michael in my life. And he brags on y'all. He brags on y'all all the time. And, and Brother Michael, you're absolutely right. Everything you said is true. And uh, I, I just want to thank you all for allowing me to be here this morning. What I'd like to do is present you a little bit about Oregon Missions. And then more importantly, I want to get into the Word and preach the Word this morning. But let me begin by saying we're going to Bend, Oregon. Uh, Oregon, it's interesting, I didn't even know where where Bend, Oregon was until probably around December time frame of last year. And I'll get into the actual specific location where Bend is. I am sent out by Faith Baptist Church of Cabot, Arkansas. Our pastor is Brother Brent Summerhill. I love Faith Baptist Church or mission-minded church, a, a, a church that just has a heart for missionaries, for missions, for seeing God's Word taken throughout the world. And I praise God for them. And they, uh, in February voted to send me as their missionary, I guess it was really beginning of March, voted to be my sending church, to send me out. I was on staff at Faith for about four and a half years, associate pastor doing youth and administration. Uh, before that, I was about five years, um, not technically on staff, just working uh, with the youth pastor, trying to get a, a, a youth program up and running, and, and was blessed to be able to be a part of that. The better half of that other picture is my wife. She couldn't be here this morning. I was setting up the table this morning. I told Brother Michael, I really need my wife here. I hope I'm doing this right. But I'm going to take a picture of it and text it to her later and tell her I can do it without her. But, uh, but my wife, she is a, a wonderful wife, mom, um, supporter of what we're doing. I just love my wife so much and, and everything that she means to me, both personally and in, in the ministry. Bend, Oregon is located right in the dead center of the state of Oregon. It's uh, just east of the Cascade Mountains, just west of the high desert. Um, I will have to throw this out there just to kind of rub it in a little bit. The statistic is they get 300 days of sunshine a year in Bend, Oregon. 
So I was just there in uh, July and August and spent, I mean, every day was absolutely beautiful. We had a little bit of uh, showers our first day in. And, um, and while we were there, I think the high was 87 degrees. Um, the lows at night got into the 40s. So it was really a pleasant time to be there. Um, then I came back and we got off the plane and it was the record heat for Little Rock back in August. And I told my wife, I said, what on earth are we doing? We should have stayed where we were. Uh, all right. So let me tell you a little bit about uh, Oregon, uh, specifically about Bend. Bend has a population of about 77,000 people. Major influx, about 30,000 people over the past nine years have come into Bend, Oregon. Majority of them from California have come in to Bend, Oregon. Uh, the religious affiliation there in Bend, it's really kind of an interesting statistic about Bend. And, and I, I'm no mathematician, so I'll try to break this down for you in a, in a simple way. There are approximately 27% affiliated with some sort of religion. And that's compared to 50% nationwide. That 27% equals in numbers about 20,800 people of the 77,000 people. Breaking down that 20,000 a little bit more, there are 16,000 of those believe in Catholic, Foursquare, Mormon, or other. Um, and there's multiple different beliefs um, out there. There's Universalists. There's, there's a whole lot of them out there. But breaking that down even further, 8% of that 20,800 believe in, in how what we believe is a true doctrinal Christ, um, uh, Baptist as Jesus being the only way. There are only 1,165 people that believe Jesus to be the way, the only way. So in simple math, that tells us there's approximately 75,000 people in that one city alone to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are excited about what God is doing in us and through us um, to go to Oregon. Like I said, I had never been Oregon. As a matter of fact, if people ask me why Bend, Oregon, it's interesting. I was just doing, I knew God was calling me out. I was doing some research, trying to figure out where God wanted me, praying and research, praying and research. Next thing I knew, God had me in Washington and Oregon. In February, we took the survey trip. We went to Bend, Oregon, and our plan was to go to Bend, go west to Corvallis, go up north to Eugene, and then head back up towards the Seattle area and check it all out. Well, when we got to Bend, every night that we were there, it snowed and we couldn't get out over the mountains to Corvallis. That enabled us to see more of Bend, to uh, interact with more people in Bend. And truthfully, I believe that God had his hand on that entire thing and why we spent more time in Bend than anywhere else. Beautiful, beautiful part of our country. The people of Oregon, people of Bend, love what they've got. The creation. We see the Creator. No doubt we see the Creator behind the creation. And I often... Think about Romans 120, where we say we see God through His creation. And the interesting thing about the people of, of Bend is that they love what they've got. They love it. You, you drive around, there's bikes on top of cars, there's kayaks, there's, they're, they're hiking, they're fishing. All year round, there's something to do. There's snowboarding, there's skiing, there's every day of the year, there is something for them to do, and they take full advantage of it. While we were there, there was a national bike race going on. There's all these different things that are happening in Oregon. But it's all surrounded about what they have. But they totally miss the Creator behind any of it. They get to see all this. They experience all of this. But they do not acknowledge the Creator that was, 
that had given this to them. And so we look to bring to them knowledge about the Creator. We look to bring to them to say, as much as you love this, look who gave this to you and look how much He loves you. And, and our prayer is that we're able to meet the people of Bend where they are. They say that if you want to find out what the people of Bend worship on a Sunday morning, go look for them. And where you'll find them is on a lake in the mountains, skiing, camping, whatever it may be. So pray for us as we, as we take the gospel to the people of Ben. In a minute, I'm going to talk a little bit about philosophy, and then, and then that's going to tie into um, our sermon. This is our needs, our goals, our objectives that we're looking for right now. And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to make a statement, and I know we've known each other for just a few minutes, but I think we, we could say we like each other, right? So I could be open with you. Now, I'm going to share my heart with you right here. I'm not naive enough to know that we can do missions without money, because we can't, and I understand that, okay? And that's important, and I fully trust in God that He's going to take care of every bit of it. And so I really do not worry about the money perspective at all about missions. Let me tell you where I am concerned, and that is I know me. I know that I can get discouraged. I know that I can get stressed out. I know that there are times that it's going to be hard and I could maybe kind of, you know, say, God, what's going on? I need churches that will be uh, partners with us. In the aspect like this, when things are going hard and and we're out there working and, and sowing the seed, and things might be a little difficult. That I could pick up the phone and call Brother Michael and say, Brother Michael, I need the people of Promised Land to be praying right now. Things are hard. Things are tough. People are rejecting us. This is happening. That's happening. Can you get your church to be in prayer? Or call Brother Michael and say, Brother Michael, I've got to tell you something. We've had these people that we've been talking to and they've come to know Jesus. And we're rejoicing in that. And we want you to tell your church, look what God is doing in Oregon. And have Brother Michael be able to come to you and share with you that you can rejoice in seeing God working um, through His people out in Oregon. And I'm being dead serious when I say this. This is truly from the bottom of my heart. What I'm asking churches for is that you will partner with us. That you are the church that says, Ed, call us because we want to be praying with you. Call us because we want to be rejoicing with you. And that truly is what I am seeking. As I go out and tell people, about Oregon, that is truly my heart. That is truly what I'm asking y'all to be as partners with us. These are our needs, our partnerships. These are our goals. Our goal is to be on the field by summer of 2012. We started in June, and so we hope to finish in a year. I believe God will will help us do that. Um, Our other objectives, visit churches like we're doing with you and share uh, on deputation. Our goal is to raise $5,000 a month. Faith Baptist Church has been a blessing. And they have said, we're going to pay your salary the entire time. So every penny that we raise right now goes towards the ministry. Every penny goes towards a place to meet, um, goes towards Bibles and tracts and setting all that up. Um, Focused outreach. We're hoping to get some airtime, whether it be commercials or radio. All different things that we're looking to do. 100% of every penny that we receive from churches will go to the ministry. And so... Just be in prayer for us as we go along. You want to follow our path? www.oregonmissions.org You can follow everything we're doing. 
It'll tell you where I am. It'll tell you up-to-date prayer requests. There's, there's pictures. There'll be video coming up pretty soon. And it'll tell you everything that's happening with Oregon Missions. And so if you want to just be on board and be that partner, that's all you have to do. And you'll be praying behind the scenes. And I promise you, we'll know that you're praying in advance. We thank you for it. I, I always put this picture up here um, of a tea shop. And um, it kind of ties into what we're going to be preaching from today. And so if you... Did I just lose the microphone? Battery. Battery. Um, I guess ooh, it's going to be hard for me not to... I'm going to have to try not to move. Woo! We'll try this. Um, this tea shop. My, my pastor and I, when we were on our survey trip in February, walking around the town and... My wife loves tea, and so I was going to be the good husband because she didn't go along with us on the survey trip, and I was going to bring her back a nice survey from, I mean, a, a souvenir from the Northwest, you know, the nice guy that I am. And so I said, Brother Brent, let's walk into this, this tea shop. And so we walk into this tea shop, and we look around as we always do, and we're kind of just checking people out and see what kind of people are there. And I would always go to these bulletin boards, and these bulletin boards would have business cards and, and all these other things. I'll tell you what, since I'm not using this, I'm going to put that right in there. How's that? And so we were looking around, came up upon a business card that was on the wall. And it was from the Oregon Department of Health. And it was called the Something House. And I can't remember the name of it, but it was a Something House. And underneath it, it said, a safe place for your queer child to be. And that, at first, took me back. And let me kind of explain how this day went that day. We were meeting with some other people and talking about the people of Oregon. People have been there all their lives, believers. And one of the things they said to us is that it's really, really hard here. That the people, um, they don't really have a desire to know Jesus. The preaching is hard. The pastoring is hard. All this is really hard. The witnessing. There's a church that said they, they went to a fall fest to try to hand out tracts and... and um, they said they had more returned than were keeping than were kept. And so there's this philosophy that the people are hard. And then we walk in and we see that. And honestly, I thought about myself. I thought about my past. I wasn't saved till I was 24 years old. I would be classified as one of those people that you would have called hard. I was one of those people that when my wife would try to tell me about Christ, I said, if I can't feel, hear, see, touch, smell him, I don't want him. He doesn't exist. It was one that as a teenager, I made stupid, stupid choices. Lost my mother when I was 14. My father's been a severe alcoholic all my life. To this day, he is. He lives to drink. That's all I knew. Wasn't raised in church, didn't know about church. Catholicism, I loosely used it. I was your Easter and Christmas Catholic. I did go and do the sacraments because that's what every good young Catholic from New York City was supposed to do. We moved out to New Jersey and I continued doing that. But never knew Jesus. Nobody took the time to share Jesus. I walked out of that tea shop heartbroken. Heartbroken. Not because of a business card about homosexuality. Because it doesn't matter if they're a homosexual, an attorney, a doctor, 
a mom, a family, they need Jesus. And my heart right then, God used that day to convince me of where I needed to be. It was beyond a shadow of a doubt where I needed to be. And God does this through divine encounters. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 through 15 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except that they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Father, we ask now that you just bless not just the reading of your word, but the preaching of your word. Father, convict our hearts as we hear from you this morning. And Father, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. In this text, Paul is asking rhetorical questions as he writes this letter to the church at Rome. And I, and I understand that this chapter, Paul is talking about wanting the Jews to come to righteousness through salvation in Jesus and not through their works, not through the law alone. And understanding that the gospel is for all, not just the Jews, but for the Jews and the Gentiles. And truthfully, I believe at this point, Paul was truly, I think, heartbroken, concerned, heartbroken, probably frustrated a little bit. And Paul is delivering this letter to the church at Rome. And we look at this text and we say, but how does all this happen? How do the Gentiles come to know? How do the Jews come to know? And it's because people are going to tell them. That's how they're coming to know. And we've seen this all through. God has encountered His people all through time. We looked at God Himself throughout the Old Testament. Encountered people. We know that God, He encountered Adam and Eve. We know that God encountered Noah and Moses and Abraham and so on. God met His people where they were. Thus saith the Lord. God met them where they were. Teaching them. Guiding them. Telling them. We fast forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. Who Jesus meets the people where they are. We see that He has met sick people. He has met those that will become His apostles. He has met more and more people in the synagogues and at wells and everywhere. He meets the people where they are. Talking to them. Teaching them about the need of a Savior and about the Father, God. Jesus meets the people where they are. And then we even fast forward on the day of Pentecost. And the Bible tells us in Acts that the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit and able to speak in languages of all the different people groups. And the Bible records on that day that 3,000 souls were added, receiving the Holy Spirit, and that the Lord added to the church daily. Every time the Word of God is opened, read, preached from, the Holy Spirit is speaking to the people. Every time. God, through His Spirit, meeting people where they are. We see a beautiful picture of the Trinity in that. God speaking to His people. The Son speaking to His people. The Holy Spirit speaking to His people. And why? Because we have a God that wants to be heard. God wants to be heard. And you remember, you heard Him. You remember the day that the Spirit spoke to you? 
The day that maybe a preacher was preaching from the Word of God, a Sunday school teacher was teaching from the Word of God. The day that someone shared Christ with you by sharing with you Scriptures from the very Word of God. You were encountered by God through the Spirit, believing, coming to faith in Christ Jesus through His Word. That is how God works. Quickly, we're going to talk about man's response to this. And we're going to talk about man's responsibility to man as what God, how God uses us. We see, and I'm just going to use biblical illustrations, as God encounters his people. We look at Jonah. Jonah ran. Jonah went as deep as he could in the boat and went as far the other direction as he could go, thinking he can get far enough away from God as God was calling him to go. But Jonah ran. Jonah hid. Is that any different, really, than us as God deals with us? I might not be talking about salvation right now, but what about in that person that God wants us to go visit, that person that God wants us to meet or talk to, and we give these responses like, I can't talk to these people. They know what they're supposed to do. Why should I engage them? They're in the Bible Belt. They've heard about Jesus. Why do I need to tell them? We find all these different excuses. How about this one? We refuse to pray for someone because we say this, God, that person deserves everything they're getting. They made their bed. Now let them lie in it. We've been there. We have purposely not shared Christ with someone. Someone has done us wrong. Someone we're looking at saying they're living a lifestyle that they're not going to get it. And so we turn our backs and we don't share. Or we question. Great, great illustration through Gideon. As Gideon, as God calls Gideon, and Gideon says, well, wait a minute, God, you're talking to someone who's of the smallest family and the smallest one in that family, and you want me to go out and take on the Amalekites and the Midianites? I don't think so, God. Even in the beginning of that story that we see in Judges, what what does Gideon do? He even doubts it's God to begin with, because he's saying, God, if that's you, why are we suffering? Why is all this going on? And then we even see, going on a little bit further, that that Gideon... um, uh, with the destroying in the altar of Baal. He has God to death and he says, God, give me a sign. And Gideon's looking for this sign. And so he talks about the fleece. We know the story about the fleece, right? And he says, all right, God, if I put the fleece out there and the dew is on the ground and not on the fleece, then I know it's you. And so that happens. And oh, well, wait a minute, God, I know you did that one, but let me try one more. Now, if we do the opposite, the dew lays on the, on the fleece and not on the grass. And that happens. All the while, as God is talking to us, as we doubt, as we wonder, God, is it you? God, how do I know it's you? In the midst of every bit of that, we miss God himself. We miss him speaking to us, him showing us that person coming across our path. And all God is saying is, trust me. That's all he was telling Jonah. That's all he was telling Gideon. Trust me. My people need to hear, trust me, go. Trust me and go. Or we can accept. I love this illustration of Paul. As we see that Paul on the road to Damascus, the Bible tells us that when he believed uh, upon his sight being restored, when he believed, the Bible says this, immediately Paul went to the synagogues and preached the Christ. Immediately. He didn't wait. He didn't think about it. He didn't question. Immediately he went and preached the Christ. He didn't sit there and say, well, how effective God am I going to be? I was a persecutor of Christians. 
No, he went and spoke of the Christ at the synagogues. He was totally about preaching and teaching Christ. And then we have the Samaritan woman at the well. And we see that recorded in John chapter 4. And it's interesting that as she shows up at the well, Jesus is waiting for her. This was no happenstance. Jesus knew who he was going to meet that day. She had no idea, but he knew. And she comes and Jesus meets her there and they have this conversation. And Jesus begins to share with her about who he is and her life is immediately changed. This woman who we would not put up on a pedestal as somebody that we would say I highly respect or somebody that we would say, hey, she's pretty cool. I think I'm going to go and share Jesus with her. She wasn't that type of woman. But yet Jesus shares of himself. And the Bible records for us in verses 28 through 30 that she left without her water pot and went and told the people in the city to come and see a man who told me all things. Could this be the Christ? And you're thinking, well, what's so significant about that? You got to understand this water pot was her lifeline. She knew this water pot. She knew everything because every day, every day at noon, she went and did this. She filled her water pot. I'm sure there were probably many times that she probably stuck some. I don't know if they had gum there where you can just kind of stick it on there and hopefully it didn't leak. I don't know. But but she would take her water pot and she would carry it out there. She knew how much it weighed when it was full. She knew how much it weighed when it was empty. She knew how long carrying that it would take her to get to the well. She knew how long it would take her to get home. She knew everything about that well. That well provided her Physical life through the water that she was able to receive. But she left that water pot. She left that water for the living water was changed and went back and told people. And the Bible continues on in 39 through 32. It says many believe because of what she told them, but many more believe because of what Jesus told them. I want you to understand this today. Encounters from God are always twofold. Always twofold. To show us something and for others to see or hear something from us. God did not change you for you to sit around and not show Christ to other people. He didn't do it. Every encounter that God has is not only to change that person in which he is encountering, but is also to change the world around them. People are to see Christ in and through us. So every time there is an encounter, as we see with the Samaritan woman, immediate action took place. When we see with Paul, immediate action took place. It wasn't just that they came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They lived out Christ. They shared Christ. They went and told people of Christ. They were different. And that is what God does with that encounter. We have a responsibility to be that preacher that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 10. The Caruso, the one who is proclaiming. The one that doesn't mean the person standing behind. That word right there doesn't mean the, per- the person standing behind this pulpit. It doesn't mean your pastor. It means a believer in Jesus Christ going out and proclaiming Christ to the world. That's what that word means. Going out and sharing Jesus 
proclaiming who He is. Fulfilling the very first, the most important commandment. When Jesus was asked in Matthew 22 by the Pharisees, what is the most important commandment? What is the greatest commandment? He says to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second one is just like it. Love your neighbors as yourself. We are to love. And when we love, we are living out Christ. When we are loving our neighbors, when we are going and meeting people where they are, we are living out Christ. We are loving people. And it becomes an outpouring of who we are. This is who we are. We're not the person that just gets salvation and sits there. We live it out. We are a changed people. I look at this and I think if Jesus just told us He loved us, but didn't follow through with the cross, where would we be? What would we think? But He did. And He went to the cross for you, for me, to come to know Him, to be saved, to have eternal life with the Father, for our sins to be washed away, to enter into the kingdom of God. And we take that news and we do not need to be sitting on it. We need to be going and proclaiming it. Churches such as yours and other churches that are in our work that are going and sending and supporting missionaries. But it's not just about people being supported in Belize or in Romania or in Oregon. It's about right here in Hamburg, Arkansas. It's about those people in your very own community, in your workplace, at the ball fields, wherever it might be, that they need to hear the proclamation of Jesus Christ, meeting them where they are. And we go as believers in Christ, we go and do it because he first loved us. That is fulfilling the great commission, going, teaching and baptizing. But I'm going to tell you something. There is no way, as Jesus, the very last commandment He gave us was the Great Commission for us to go. There is no way that we can do that without accepting the greatest commandment first. We can't. There is no way that I can fulfill the Great Commission and not love as Christ so loved me. To understand love, to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, understanding what He did for me, and He did it out of love. And I believe, I give my life to Him. I am saved by grace through faith. I I just come and I say, Father, save me. I'm a sinner. I was that kid. I was that hard person. I was the one that did the drugs and the alcohol. I was the ones that did the things that I won't even stand here and tell you what I did. And I remember that day. I remember the ugliness in sin in who I was. And I remember that pastor opening up the Word of God and sharing Jesus with me and me understanding by the grace of God that He has saved my soul too. But it was because someone told me. Someone opened the Word of God and shared Jesus with me. It forever changed who I am. 
And I want to finish up with Acts, Acts chapter 2 and verses 41 through 47 because we get to see what all this looks like. Okay? Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So people are being preached the gospel. People are being saved. People are being baptized. Thousands of people being baptized. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of the bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Here's this picture. We going out. Proclaiming Christ to the world. People coming and being saved. Those saved people coming together. Meeting the needs of one another. And as people's needs are being met. And people are coming together. There's a difference in that community. And people see it. And people begin to ask, what is happening over there? So not only are we going out and proclaiming, we're also being a different people taking care of everyone within. And so we're loving And we're sharing of the needs. And we're taking care of the needs of the people. And we're going out and we're proclaiming. And people are seeing and we're proclaiming. And people are coming to know Jesus. People are being saved. People are being baptized. And it continues to go on and on and on. And thousands of people are being saved. Why are we any different today? We're not. We as we care for one another, as we love one another, need to go out and proclaim Christ to the world. Because understand, there are thousands that need to be saved today, just like there were that day in the book of Acts. Thousands. And that task to me seems overwhelming. When I think about 75,000 people In Bend, Oregon. That need to come to know Jesus. You know, it's interesting in all those illustrations that I gave. Despite every one of their responses, God used those people. Despite the upfront doubt. The upfront questioning. The upfront wondering. God still used those people. You can be used by God. The only question is, will you allow him to use you so that you may be that vessel to which the Holy Spirit speaks through you to the people and the Holy Spirit convicts the heart of the people so that their lives are changed? Are you going to be a part of that as you We're so called to be. Father God, we come at this time. God, you sent your son and 
you did not send him in vain. For, Father, many have been saved through him, and many to come will be saved through him. But, Father, may we be those people to be used here and now by you to deliver the gospel message to the people so that the people can come to know Jesus. So that, Father, though it is a very small part on our part, we can see you at work. Father, I thank you for churches such as this church who sends missionaries, who prays for missionaries, who, Father, has local outreach, who have heard of different things through Upward and Awana, are working to meet the needs of the people in this community. Father, the greatest need that we have, you've resolved through your Son. May we go and show the world Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.